And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I'm Ted Berg, joined today not by The Athletics Mets beat writer Tim Britton, who is, as mentioned, celebrating the wedding for which he took some time off last year, finally able to uh, have that party he wanted and deserved with his his family and loved ones. Uh, And so here in his stead is a man who once bought himself a lifetime's worth of goodwill from me, uh, now doubling down on that, having once bought me a, brought me a sandwich to a World Series game, no less. Uh, <laughs> the Athletics, uh, one of the Athletics national baseball writers, uh, and, and someone with whom I would say I stand uh, inside the, the Venn diagram, the little sliver in the middle of the Venn diagram of people with documented expertise in sandwiches, people with documented expertise in baseball, and people with spectacular hair. <laughs> Mr. Eno Saris, Eno, thank you. Thanks for coming on. That uh, was an A-plus introduction. I don't think I've ever ever had the likes of that. Thank you very much. I'm, uh, I'm, you, I'm ready to go. <laughs> uh, again, again, thanks for that sandwich. I like, I, you know, whatever, anything you need at this point. You're good, you brought me a sandwich and you, you've come on the podcast, so I appreciate it. Oh man, that was. You, I think that place is shut down. That was like uh, maybe some sort of roast uh, roast beef or. You know, I don't. I remember it was a good sandwich. I remember it was like a. It was like a very California e sandwich. It was on like a. It, you know, I feel like I it, get. East, no, it was it was on like a hearty sliced oh, bread, like right. a hearty yeah, yeah. whole wheat sliced bread, um, which feels more like. You, usually, I feel like in New York, you get like more more toward the roll hero type sandwiches on the East Coast and West Coast. It's more uh, open season with bread selection. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a bread out here, Dutch Crunch, that y'all don't even use at all. Yeah, we don't we don't know about it yet. We, we have so uh, there is Buffalo has Weck, which is like particular to that city. There are regional, yeah. uh, there, you know, and and I, I think like the Kaiser roll culture is very much a New York thing. That that, that is true. I used really to love my breakfast else. sandwiches on the Kaiser roll. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's per, it's a great it's a great sandwich roll. We'll talk a little bit more about sandwiches later, but this is <laughs> this is nominally a Mets podcast, and uh, the Mets are coming off a uh, taking two out of three from the Reds Monday night after playing two wild games in Pittsburgh. They they go ahead and play perhaps the wildest game I've ever seen in my life, winning 15-11. They lose Tuesday, get a huge start from Marcus Stroman on Wednesday with the bullpen overtaxed. Uh, but Eno writes nationally, and I don't want to, you know, get into the nuts and bolts of the Mets so much as I want to look at some of the trends that uh, have been going on across the, the the big stories across the league this year. And and the biggest one, I think, uh, is is sort of twofold involving the baseball and the sticky stuff has obviously sort of taken the four. I think it's like a sexier story to talk about, but. Uh, but fundamentally, I think we it's hard to talk about the sticky tough without talking about the ball itself, which has changed a little bit. 
Yeah, that's true. I think um, around the time that we got StatCast, there were some changes made to the process by which the ball was created in Costa Rica. And those changes produced a, I don't know how to say it, sort of more uh, aerodynamic ball, a ball with less drag. Um, and baseballs, baseball at first, you know, I remember asking Rod Manfred about this in something like uh, 2015 um, at a combined BBWA luncheon, and he laughed at me um, and uh, told some jokes at my expense uh, and tried to. And yeah, classic Manfred, um, and uh, and try to pretend like there was nothing there, and that uh, there were more home runs being hit because teams were hitting power hitters at the top of the lineup now. Yeah, that doesn't. That's not a. That doesn't make sense. And like, <laughs> and Freddie Galvis hit like thirty home runs one year, right? Like it just. Yeah. It's that. That is clearly not what was happening. And and I think people tried to. And a lot of people. And there's maybe some truth to it. A lot of people said, well, it's launch angle. You know, all these guys are now swinging for the fences. And I think. Um, again, I think that, and it's something we've talked about, like, I think that guys are sort of selling out for power to the extent that they have to guess a little bit on pitches. And so you'd rather, you know, if you're going to guess, you might as well swing as hard hard. as you freaking can at that. (laughs) Um, and so I think there, there is something to that, but, uh, certainly the baseball has changed. It seems like a couple of times this, this time they at least said they were changing the baseball. That's right. And so. 2019, we had, you know, a kind of a, a, I don't know how to describe it, an A-deer or an apex. You know, we just had the most aerodynamic ball of all time. And we had this huge homer explosion, broke all the records. And I think they wanted to step back from that. So they they sort of released a memo internally, which they knew would be leaked. It was basically a way to tell everybody, hey, we're changing the ball. This time it's on purpose. We're deadening the inside. However, they also lightened the ball. They made the ball uh, a, a, a few grams lighter, and uh, although that was within the range of specifications, that's it was as light as they could make the ball without getting the rules committee involved. So th- there was kind of this meaningful thing there where they they made the ball lighter, and they didn't. If they'd made it like 0.1 gram lighter, they would have had to get a lot more people involved. <laughs> yeah, so, and so if you're unfamiliar, the 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 specifications for the baseball are not precise they're given it because the baseball is handmade and it's in yeah. this this sort of old-timey process where it's like sort of shrouded in secrecy in in costa rica and so rather than say like the baseball should be exactly this size and exactly this weight and exactly this whatever uh it's a it's sort of a, a range of of and it's a narrow range but it's a range nonetheless and when you're dealing with a game of millimeters like baseball, a very, very subtle difference to the ball can make a very, very big difference in how the ball ball performs. Right. And so this year we've seen uh, some of the drag come back, uh, which uh, and then the, the, the core was deadened, as they said. So there's less bounce to it. Um, and so we've seen home runs come down. But with the fact that the ball is lighter, we've also seen velocities go up across the league. Uh, so people are throwing the lighter ball harder. Uh, the more drag means more movement and that was contributing to strikeouts. And so therefore, and I cannot say this, um, with any reporting behind it, but we can just, we can report the timeline, which is the ball changed. We had six no hitters in the first month, Mm -hmm. you know, seven is the record. We had the highest strikeout rate of all time, almost over 25% for the first time ever. 
And we had a few hitters saying, oh, what about pine tar? We had my piece about, you know, how people are doing pine tar. And they had been having an effort of, let's say, let's take the pine tar out of the pitcher's hands. Pitchers are using pine tar to up the spin rate and get more strikeouts. I think this is where the ball and the pine tar come together. Why did they do enforcement in the middle of the season? Because the ball, the the run environment, the baseball they created with the new ball was not exactly what they wanted. That's that's yeah. how I see it. Because why if, otherwise if, would you up enforcement in the middle of the season? Why else would you take pitchers' pants off in the middle of the season? It feels like the the law of unintended consequences has just like keeps coming up in in this <laughs> yes. in this situation because the the sticky self itself was you know initially it was it sort of sounded like and and you know Tim and I have talked about this too like it, for so long it was just something that everyone accepted that pitchers did and hitters seemed like they were largely and the ball cool is with, slick and right, it's fine. Yeah, the, Exactly, exactly. And then uh, and then it turned out, well, wait a minute, it depends on what sticky substance you use. And if you use this, oh. you know, if you use this one, then uh, obviously, you know, spider tech, we all know, is it has a, a huge effect. And uh, this is something you've looked at quite a bit as well. Um, well, and it's like, I think it's a natural consequence, too, of like, okay, so we have rosin, that's fine. Uh, ooh, sunscreen and rosin, that was the Red Sox mm-hmm. uh, back in the day. Clay know. Buckles putting it on in, in the in the in sky, the in, the, in the dome, yeah. Yeah, and so we all saw that, So we and we all sort of laughed about it. Some people got really angry on Twitter, but nothing really happened out of it. Uh, but Which is like, also... that's true of, of just about everything. It's like <laughs> some people got really angry on Twitter, but nothing happened. Uh, but yeah. also... We live in a in a, in a in a baseball of data and 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 tech now, and so uh, if you if you saw that on TV and you were a young pitcher, you might say, "Oh, well, I've got this Rapsodo here, and I've got some pine tar here because it's a baseball thing, and I've got some this, I've got some sunscreen. Let me just try all these and see what the Rapsodo. Oh, wow! Oh, right. wow! That gave me an extra hundred RPM. Oh, this other thing, and so you know, some people started boiling down Coca Cola. Uh, one pitcher told me he used bong resin. Uh, you know, there's, a, you know, <laughs> there was a CBD oil uh, uh, rumor going around. Everyone was trying the sticky stuff and putting it on their fingers and and seeing what would come out of the Rapsodo, basically like a slot machine. And uh, some of our research said that like you would get something like plus 400 to 500 RPM out of nothing to spider tack. Uh, the difference there and. Plus five hundred. So what RPM, type of? Yeah, that tell might me what sound that means. Sort of theoretical, you know. That's okay. It, it, the ball doesn't. The ball doesn't take a minute to fly to home plate, so it's not like it's revolving five hundred more times, you know. Um, but when you know, I have a, a stat called stuff, which just takes a look at spin, uh, you know, rates and axis and movement and velocity, and just tries to say how good is this pitch by stuff. Uh, not location or or command or any of that stuff. So -hmm. basically, uh, giving someone 500 RPM can increase their fastball stuff by sort of 10 to 15% and their breaking ball stuff by like 25 to 30%. So So we're talking about augmenting your breaking ball by a third. And what has happened since they started enforcing it in in the middle of June? June twenty first, I think, was the day they started stripping the pitchers on the mound. Uh, what what have you seen since that date? Two thirds of baseball is down. What you would call statistically significant in terms of RPM. Mm-hmm. Uh, so two thirds of baseball was doing something, and 
maybe more because there's obviously probably still some people finding a way to cheat or finding a way to, to use this stuff. Um, and then uh, about a quarter of baseball is down like sort of 300 RPM plus where you would be saying that they, they were using like spider tack. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's not too far from what we got anecdotally when we were doing the research on these pieces, we got sort of 75% for using anything and 30 to 40% for using the harder core stuff. So, um, right in that wheelhouse in terms of what has happened to the game, Mm-hmm. It's been a little bit more muted than people might expect, um, but we've lost about one percent of uh, off the strikeout rate, and uh, we've gained about one percent of walk rate. Um, and homers so are there up, is, but homers so there is go something up. maybe to the the grip being useful. Yeah, there was something control. to the whole yeah. command thing. It's for command. There was something to that. Yeah, <laughs> pitchers were right in the end of, on some level, and homers um, are up. Yeah, and then today uh, or yesterday, I had a piece about how this has injury implications too, because mm-hmm. you have to grip the ball a little bit tighter if it's not attached to your fingers. <laughs> right. Uh, and gripping anything tighter is going to lead to more fatigue. Uh, more fatigue leads to injury. So um, that's something that we may uh, see in the future. There was a bit of a uh, injury bump uh, in the data uh, after the enforcement. Yeah, that um, feels like a. It feels like a tougher one to certainly to quantify just because or pitchers to draw the line straight through yeah. yeah pitchers get hurt at such a high rate anyway, anyway. like <laughs> and they're always everybody's you know and like this is not to doubt tyler glasno who was like very uh candid that the the and, and it, you wrote about it in the article mm-hmm. glasno basically came out and said this is because i can't use sticky stuff that that i i got a partial tear of my ucl um but i do think it is such a hot button topic this year that that there will be instances of guys who were going to hurt themselves one way or the other who will just say, well, this is because I can't use sticky stuff, right? Like, that that feels like... Maybe. Yeah. But I also think it's fair to say why in the middle of the season, which is why I brought right. it up in the Absolutely. context of the ball changing. Because in the middle of the season, you give nobody a chance to change up their routine to no like to even throw a bullpen you know i mean th- th- it was so fast they they, le- they leaked that these checks were coming and they basically said next week these checks are coming looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And and uh, that's a that's a good way to, to get us to the Mets a little bit, because I think one of the guys that um, if and, and Tim wrote about this a little bit and we talked about it a little bit, but a guy who has seen a, a pretty sharp decline in his spin rate. Uh, and his command, uh, and his results, 
having blown now three consecutive save opportunities. And look, there's always going to be some some rough stretches of a season for any reliever, guys pitching in, in very short outings, uh, guys who get worked a lot might get tired. But Edwin Diaz has had a really, really rough go of it since that enforcement began. Uh, is it fair? Is it safe to say that uh, there has been some sort of change there in how he's has to go about his business. Yeah, I mean he's he's uh, down in that sort of down that that three hundred RPM kind of kind of territory where uh, you kind of you, you can't help but raise an eyebrow. I'm not uh, someone who's sort of beating my chest about you know quote unquote you know cheating with the capital not, C. Because you can't you can't because it's ridiculous because the league didn't enforce it. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and and people should say the same thing about steroids. Uh, different conversation. People right. are, I think, a little bit angrier still about steroids. But but that uh, same one thing. also steroids is a little bit different because there's health implications. You know, mm-hmm. for people, <laughs> this right. is like yeah, some pine tar on your finger. There's no health implications. That's true. Um, but uh, Diaz, and it's interesting because uh, here's another link between the Mets and the Yankees. Nobody wants to hear this. Um, the Mets and the Yankees have basically the same record have basically the same run differential, have basically the same projection going forward. Uh, it's just the the context around them are, to- are totally right. different. Yeah. But both of their closers are down big in spin rate, and both of their closers have poor command traditionally, uh, and both of their closers are struggling even more with that command right now. Um, so, you know, it's anecdotal because you're kind of putting all these pieces together, and yes, Diaz could come out the other side. And it's interesting that, not everyone on this list of people whose spin rate has really dropped has gone into the tank. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not, uh, there are, there are sort of uh, movement and performance differences that you can spot in this group. Yes. But not everyone is in the tank like Diaz right now, you know, and relievers kind of live in small sample size. So I'm not saying that Chapman and Diaz are done. Right. Um, and that's that's what I was going to I was going to ask there. Have you seen any evidence yet that there is like a way out of this for sick guys? Is there and it's probably too soon to tell because it's really only been a month. But has has any guy uh, has anyone seemed to find some of that spin or or perhaps uh, some 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 efficacy elsewhere uh, in in adjusting to this change? Well, this is interesting. Diaz's uh, spin is is climbing back up. Um, after after the the first initial uh, drop um, after uh, and there are there are pitching coaches that tell me that there are things that you can do to, to harness spin better there obviously there's stuff that you can do to turn spin into movement better spin efficiency is a big thing that pitching coaches talk about um, so you could either just become more efficient with the spin you have um, or you could, I don't know what these mechanical adjustments are, but some pitching coaches tell me you can, you can, you can create a little bit of spin, uh, with different mechanical adjustments. And then there's just the adjustment that I wanted them to be able to do in the off season, which is just like, how do I pitch like this? Right. <laughs> Let me refine because he's been living at that spin level for five years. So like we're, you know, how do I pitch? What did I pitch like before? <laughs> you know? um, so I think there's that adjustment that's go- that's happening right now for both of them. Um, and and uh, for what's worth, like Diaz had a whole season that was like this, right? 
Right. Yeah. I mean, la- last year he was not good, and uh, <laughs> he chalked it chalked it up to not having his right entrance music at, at coming into home <laughs> I did games. Not hear that. Um, yeah, was, and you know, if you hear the song that he goes with, you would completely understand. It is called Narco. It is by the uh, I believe they're Danish big house uh, d- uh, techno outfit. Interesting. Called- blaster jacks with a, a guy named timmy <laughs> trumpet and it sounds i have described it before it sounds like you it is a, the start of a uh of like a bullfight in the future is the only it's, it sounds <laughs> nice. like a futuristic like someone is fighting a robotic future bull under strobe lights wow. and it is the coolest song i do not i do not doubt at all that not having that song prevailed to provide him the the adrenaline he needed <laughs> to be an elite closer so i don't think it is, i don't think that's about the spin rate i think that's All just right. well maybe maybe he, he just needs a couple energy drinks and one of those uh they have a, a thing they call velo slaps have you ever seen this i don't know that no a velo slap is where you slap yourself really hard in the back of the head and that's to get your velocity up <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> we know because roger clemens in addition to whatever else roger clemens did famously uh put Icy hot on an especially sensitive area yes. of the male body. This is the and same idea. As was the then slap. like <laughs> was reportedly snarling like a bull when he got out on the mount. Uh, to, uh, it's a, several bovine references in this conversation. Uh, well, I just think that uh, the the ins and outs of bullpens is why the and this is the thing the Yankees have done forever is build build the best bullpen you can, have as many guys as you can have back there that are good and. Then you can kind of move guys in and out. So if Trevor May needs to take a couple uh, opportunities, I mean, you've seen over uh, on the Yankees side, they've they've retreated from Chapman in some opportunities and used other guys. You don't have to say they're out of the role. You just have to kind of give them a chance to to strike three guys out in one appearance or something and, and feel like they're back on on the bull. <laughs> right, right. You As would think were. like a nice a nice outing against the Pirates might might cure yeah, exactly. what ails you, but yeah. but you would be wrong. Um, <laughs> that didn't work out that way. Did, did not work. Uh, but you but got yeah. the good news is you've got Trevor May. Um, I wish uh, that Lugo was at his best right now. Um, but uh, between sort of May and Castro, maybe, and and I guess Familia. Uh, Familia's been one? good. Yeah, he's been. Uh, he's been. They've the bullpen has been good all year. It's been. Uh, they've gotten really lucky in that. Like uh, every guy has had a rough stretch. But it's been like each guy has but had not his own. all of them at the same time. <laughs> yeah, each guy has had like there was a while when May couldn't get anybody out, and there was a while yeah. when Familia couldn't get you know, and Castro. Um, but that's, it's all that's been exactly discreet. that's yeah. exactly my theory of, of of relief, and and so I think that you know as much as they don't, they could probably get away with not getting a reliever at the deadline. It probably still makes sense for them to get a pitcher at, at the deadline. I was looking at um, a crazy idea maybe of Trevor Story. And Michael Givens, uh, that would um, be cool. I mean, I think that would be. I think what would that cost? That would cost a lot, right? Just no, I don't think cost. so. I don't no, think so. They're rentals. Uh, yeah, that's uh, true. Wait, is Givens a rental too? Because he's been around. Yes, they're both rentals. So they they both are up at the end of the season. There aren't a lot of. The, I think you'd be competing basically with the Oakland Athletics, huh. and maybe the Dodgers. But I don't think the Dodgers. The Dodgers will be like, well, we we're fine at shortstop, so we're right. not going to give you much. So, I, I, you know, and then actually coming up with a name that would leave the Mets is fraught with uh, concern because then people will just yell at you. I love that guy. I hate that guy. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, but like, no I don't knows. think it would take uh, it would not take Alvarez. 
You know, uh, everybody well, wants to hold on to Francisco Alvarez, the best uh, prospect in the Mets system, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, you can't give up. You have to only give up your crappy prospects, right? That's how it works. <laughs> Just the, the guys. Well, I, I was trying to find with. the intersection of good, uh, good, and like also not best prospect. Maybe like JT Jin or something. Gin. That sounds. That's a guy. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not as up to speed as most on yeah. the Mets. But I. I kind of just. He's like, like an like, A ball guy with good right. numbers that uh, is not in the top 100 prospects. The uh, Rockies could say he's a pitcher. You. You then maybe add a couple other guys who are further down the list. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know but, that there are Mets fans out there who would be, you know, on the standing on the Triborough Bridge if they if they traded Ronnie Mauricio. Ronnie Mauricio is a is a 20 year old in A ball who's. Uh, not having the best season, not not to like doom his future or anything. It's just what people I, tend to, you know, wildly, wildly overvalue their team's best prospects. It's true. But I do think that like most teams will try to keep their top two prospects, uh, top two, three. If you look at what the Padres have done, they've traded, traded away so many prospects, but they've always tried to hold on to their top two or three. Yeah. Um, and so I think that... I'm not saying that anybody's untouchable, but for the Mets, if they were to trade Mauricio or Alvarez, they would get somebody back that would be here for a while, uh, would, uh, be, would be on the team for a while. So I like don't a more of like the Berrios type situation. Yes, yeah. If they got if they got Berrios and and uh, uh, well, some people are saying Buxton if they can't sign them, the Berrios Buxton combination. Um, that would require uh, one of their top prospects, but uh, anyway, would probably I, be worth it. That, that, yeah, that's the that's what's coming next week. I I would say that um, infield help. I mean, I've watched a little. Yormi had like the three error game. Yeah, but he's he's fine defensively. I don't think anyone's that worried about that. It's just like how how well will his bat hold up with with everyday right. play? And VR um, is not. Uh, not I wouldn't really want to play VR over Guillaume I don't think at short just from what I know of them so maybe uh, an infield bat uh, an up the middle bat that's a rental and then an arm but uh, it is interesting that like this team has flaws but I don't think that any of them is like immediately fixable by a trade deadline acquisition Right. It's just like they kind of need to be better. They 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 definitely have a need in the back end of of the starting rotation because they've had so much so many injuries there. But they also have uh, this like sort of Carrasco and Syndergaard coming at, back at some right, point at some point <laughs> at some point. But we've been Carrasco has been a couple weeks away since April. So right. it's it's hard to really count on him at this point. And, and Syndergaard, you know, when it seemed like he was approaching readiness, uh, they got shut down. So. Uh, hard to bet on either of those guys. One last parallel, and this is, I, I'm sorry to, to listeners that hate the Yankees, but one last parallel is if you build a team, a veteran team, this this is the peril, right, of mm-hmm. a veteran team. The peril is that older players get hurt more often. Right. And it's just less likely that you're going to keep everyone in one piece the whole way through. And the way that you try to upend that is by either using great player development to continue a pipeline of usable players um, or by some combination of player development and player acquisition where you just always think about depth. And uh, like, honestly, I think the Yankees plan for the most part is good. They just, you know, Frazier didn't hit, you know, and for, for the Mets, I think the question is, you know, will these veterans like PR it's Pilar and VR, right. Um, will they be good enough in these stretches when they're needed to be? And, um, it seems like they're getting healthy other than Lindor. They're getting healthy. McNeil needs to get going. Um, and now yeah, they've they got have, their full outfield out it's, there. 
They scored, I mean, they scored 25 runs in the three-game series against the Reds. I right. think that that is the offense that a lot of people were hoping for at the beginning of the year when you look down and, like, you know, Dom Smith or so, someone good is hitting on the in the bottom half of the lineup. It's a good feeling for a National national League team. And yeah. uh, if and when, and it does sound like Lindor will be back at some point. It's not, we know obliques can lin- linger, but uh, when he returns, if they can stay healthy, I think the lineup is, is very good. Maybe they could use an extra bat. Everybody could use an extra bat. There's talk of Chris Bryant. There's talk of Javi Baez. You mentioned Trevor Story. Uh, all guys that would certainly be upgrades at the right cost, but um, I think it seems like the the back end of the starting rotation is where there's the most pressing need. Yeah, well, um, you know, John Gray is a rental too. Um, That's it. Yeah, that so would be fun. the Rockies seem like they sh- they should be on the phone with the Rockies a lot. The nice thing for them though is that in terms of run differential, in terms of strength of of opposition within the division, um, the Braves had the best run differential and had the best shot of pushing them. Mm-hmm. And just and just lost their best player, so you know I know they're gonna they're gonna give a shot at it, um, but the other three teams have negative run differentials and are projected uh, to basically do that going forward. So yeah, and the I Mets have I'll say the Mets have a chance. So they have got three against the Blue Jays coming up at home, and then five in four days against the Braves. And uh, we've said this before about their their series this season, but that's a that's a series I see as like this is a chance to if you take four out of five from the Braves yeah. the day before the trade deadline, you essentially kill the Braves season. Yeah, it's, yeah, right before the trade deadline too. So you they, you, you stop them from uh, spending any more capital on, on uh, acquiring players. Yeah. Uh, we typically take questions, uh, at the end of the show before we do, I just real quick, you just, you mentioned your stat stuff and you had an article about the pitchers who have gotten better from April, May to June and July. And I was amazed to see one name on there, um, because I didn't think it was possible he could get better from April, May, uh, Jacob deGrom got better. His stuff got better. Yeah, and uh, I wish it wasn't like this. Um, stuff is a bit of a black box, and I understand that. But um, the thing that that makes stuff so hard is uh, to measure and to to figure out is that these things interact, right? And so when I'm looking at what made uh, Degrom better, I think it might be the fact that his fastball wasn't as fast, but his slider did not get slower. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's like they're even the, it's like almost like that that fastball change up differential where there's like the optimal difference. Yes. And so, you know, velo- velocity differential off the fastball is a big component of stuff. And it and that doesn't mean that, you know, big is good for every pitch or small is good for every pitch. It's different for every pitch. But fastball differential is big. And I think for breaking balls, it's actually you want a smaller differential. Mm-hmm. off of your breaking ball. If you think about the best breaking balls in the league, a lot of them are really hard curve balls like Lance McCullers or Craig Kimbrell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in which case they have a lot of drop and they're super hard. They're like throw them 87 miles an hour. That's crazy. Um, or you have a lot of these uh, really hard sliders that like the Grom throws. The Grom, I think, has the best slider by stuff plus in baseball. And so I think it is just that sort of relationship between the pitches changed a little bit as his forcing velocity came down. But um, I think in the end, the you'd rather have the forcing velocity high because that just sort of uh, makes everything harder on the on the on the hitter. 
We've got a baseball question and a sandwich question. We'll do them quick. The first one comes from Adam. It's the baseball question. It's an impossible one. He says, I currently have Nimmo, Dom Smith, and Michael Conforto on my fantasy team, but I need to drop one of them going into the second half. What do you think about the second half prospects for the Mets outfield? Yeah, and it is kind of amazing that uh, the projections say that basically all of these guys are going to hit 250. Um, and Dom and, and Conforto are going to hit 10 homers and not steal many bases, and Nimmo is going to hit six homers and steal four bases. They're actually fairly uh, inter, inter, like uh, interchangeable. Yeah, it's it's amazing offensively. They're very like, different players. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, it's three completely different hitters who like they basically they're like Nimmo gets on base a ton, but it doesn't have as much power. Uh, yeah. Smith's a, a good contact hitter, uh, doesn't strike out as much as Conforto, but he but he doesn't hit, have quite as much power as Conforto. Conforto has the most power of the three, and then like you balance it all out. If you look at something like OPS plus, which is you know fairly simple and straightforward at this point, they're like the same. They're basically like if you look the last three years, they're all right in the one twenty five to one thirty yeah. range. So. I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer there. For me, um, I, I have a longstanding crush on Michael Conforto. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I believe I started an interview with him with like a full straight minute of uh, stats that I loved about his game. <laughs> I like that, yeah. Um, I've hit Mike Trout with that, and he's like, just like, it's like, do you know that you're the best player that there's ever been? And he, he just, <laughs> and, and he like looked at me for and like paused for a while. I was like, that's a good guy to be. And I was yeah. Like, yeah, that's right. I, I thought he was going to say, is there a question? I've gotten yeah. that one before. <laughs> yeah. What's the question? <laughs> um, but I know, I know Smith is out homer Conforto, but I would expect Conforto to out homer Smith. Right. Um, going forward. And so I'm going to take Conforto and Nimmo here. Um, uh, yeah. I, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm such a big fan of Dom Smith that it's hard for me to not take him. I think mm. that I would say Conforto has the best second half, but I'm, I might be, that might be recency bias because he keeps hitting home runs right now. Uh, Greg, Greg Sasso on Twitter wants to know, this is a big one. How does your sandwich building philosophy change when making a cold versus hot sandwich? Now, this is, I think, a false dichotomy, right? Because Mm. we both know that uh, uh, a diversity in temperatures might make Mm. for a very good good sandwich, have a couple cold things and a couple of hot things. But in generally speaking, uh, if you're incorporating hot hot ingredients into your sandwich, how does your philosophy change? I think that my process changes more than my philosophy. I think when I make a sandwich that's basically mostly cold items on maybe toasted bread or something, mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to arrange all my cold items and just toast the bread when I need to be ready, right? But when you make something hot, you want the food to be hot when it gets into the sandwich. So you really have to... And also have this thing in my, in my house where um, the... Uh, air fryer and the toaster if they're both on at the same time will just short out yeah <laughs> yeah so you, it's a it's like an extra so, challenge it's a they should they should work stuff like that into the cooking shows i think like yeah, real, right. real life you scenarios can't like, use these two things yeah. at the same time <laughs> but so i really have to be like okay uh i'm gonna i have to really kind of i have to plan it out more i have to be like I really i need to i need to air fry this 
to this moment and then stick this in the toaster and then maybe turn on the air fryer for a second to get it warm again uh, or, or maybe melt the cheese on it after I've after I've got the toast ready. Anyway, it, be, it becomes a much more uh, like involved thing. I don't know if that answers the question. It's more about process than, than strategy, but um, well, I would generally... Say not- I would say an right. obvious one is like I would I I generally skip lettuce if I'm making a hot salad. Oh, like you don't want yeah. you don't want like anything that's gonna wilt. Wilted. Um, yeah. I also find it makes a big difference in what cheese I select um, because for me like and and I think I'm a little bit more sensitive than a lot of people to this, but like cheddar cheese I love, but cheddar cheese hot to me it just gets so greasy that it's a little bit gross, and so like I don't want to mm. melt cheddar on my sandwiches. Yeah, I, I think of more like provolone and Swiss. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, mozzarella is a great melting cheese. You know, uh, like there's yeah, the, just, just uh, like a, a softer cheese. I, and and I'm I'm a, a known defender of American cheese as well. Although not really, I don't really make it on like a sandwich that much. I just mean like on a burger or a grilled cheese. I love just American cheese. Oh, uh, um, you don't you know you disagree with me, but that's okay. I just don't I don't. American what cheese is American cheese. It's not. It's processed cheese like food. Okay. Is it born of cheddar cheese? And it, it looks like cheddar um, cheese. It, I believe. I'm pretty sure it was. And uh, someone can can fact check this or not, but I'm pretty sure that like it was Joseph Kraft himself who invented the emulsifying salt necessary to uh, to have the cheese melt without losing the grease. So, like, American cheese was made specifically no way. for better melting quality. This is amazing. I think that's this true. This is a lesson. Don't just can't act as if that's true. I will when I, and the next time I'm going to melt something, I'm going to, I'm going to buy some American cheese for it. It's good. It's, I mean, that's why, like it, make a grilled cheese with American cheese versus cheddar cheese. And I think you'll find American cheese better just because the the cheddar cheese, it's going to grease up the bread too much. It sweats, sweats all the the grease. It's true. Uh, you know. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, thank, thank everyone. I, I, I thank everyone out there. For, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I thank everyone out there for listening. Uh, if you enjoy the show, as always, please rate, review, subscribe. You can check out Eno's podcast, uh, which he co-hosts, Rates and Barrels. What can people expect there? We, it is a fantasy. It's nominally a fantasy podcast twice a week. On Fridays, we have Britt Rolly in, and it's more of a regular baseball thing. But I've had people tell me, I don't play fantasy, and I listen to your podcast, so I would just expect uh, a bit of a nerdy way into baseball, uh, references to research and data and uh, that sort of way into what's going on in baseball right now. I think if people are listening to this show, uh, based on the, the conversations Tim and I generally have, they've already, they already uh, have a nerdy way into baseball. So it's a, this is <laughs> consider the retrospective, like your gateway drug and you can, you can really mainline it at rates and barrels. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your, your kind words and thanks for having me on. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Uh, you know, take care. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.